0: Hey, it's Ashley Nicole. I appreciate y'all for listening, and hopefully you're all getting your, keeping your cheeses on your crackers. I'm dropping in on this episode to give you some goodies. Have you been wanting to get into the podcast game and don't know where to start? I got you. I have answers. If you haven't already heard about Anchor by Spotify, it is the easiest way to make a podcast. Anchor has everything you need all in one place. Anchor has tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or your computer. When hosting on Anchor, you can distribute your podcast on listening platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. Let me say it again um, in case you missed it. Everything that you need to make a podcast is conveniently in one place. And best of all, Anchor is free. Free 99, $0.00. So, go ahead, download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm and get started now. I can't wait to listen to your podcast too.
1: Welcome to this episode of the Mental Health in the Black in Black America series of getting my cheese back on my cracker where we are focused on holding the conversation that allow us to speak openly and honestly about the topics that is very important to our community. And let's meet our panelists. So let's start with Jackie, can you introduce yourself? Yeah,
2: hi, I'm Jacqueline Jackson. Um, Jackie is fine as a um, reference to me. If it's in writing, I prefer Jacqueline Jackson. But um, I am a freedom fighter, social justice activist, love being black, everything about it. And um, I'm currently the executive executive director for a nonprofit organization that I founded called The Royalty Project, which promotes positive self images and self-esteem amongst youth of color and working on some other projects. Awesome, awesome.
1: Paige?
3: Hi everyone. My name is Paige Tucker. Um, I'm an author and um, small business owner. I am a I have a coaching and consulting agency called Be Your Best You LLC, where I assist small businesses and entrepreneurs and um, business um, optimizing their business through capacity building and digital media. I also am the co-host of Power Plug in the Morning, which is on Power Plug Radio. And I am also a um, nationally certified mental health first aid instructor for both youth and adult um, courses.
1: Awesome. Awesome. Tisa?
4: Hello, I'm Tisa Harris, but on social media, I generally go by Tisa Lachey. Um, I currently don't work because I am a full-time grad student getting my master's in mental health counseling with a concentration on rehabilitation and substance abuse. So I'm a big mental health advocate. Um, I believe it's something that's very necessary in the Black community. Um, I'm also an Army veteran, so that's something else that I'm also passionate about, making sure that veterans have the um, proper care, especially when it comes to mental health and I'm just a black girl who just, you know, love people. I love life. I love to see other people smile. So I'm big on encouragement and motivation. And I awesome. just launched my podcast last week called Gracefully Speaking
1: and I blog. Hey, hey, hey. Excellent. <laughs> Stephanie.
5: Mm-hmm. Um, I am Stephanie Bentián. As mentioned, first of all, I want to say I am blown away by how impressive all of you ladies mm-hmm. sound. I'm on a panel with some heavy hitters today. <laughs> I am a communications professional, and I'm just a black woman creating her joy from scratch.
1: Awesome, that's amazing. And last but not, la, not last but not least, Latisha, Latasha, I'm sorry.
5: Hi,
6: everyone. Um, first, thank you for um, inviting me and allowing me to. And um, I'm going to echo Stephanie in that I feel blessed, and um, you all sound like you're doing amazing things. Uh, My name is Latasha. Feel free to call me Tasha, which is fine. Um, And I'm a therapist. I am a licensed social worker, and I have my own private practice called LF Therapy LLC. Um, And I live here in Philadelphia. Um, And so that's my business. And I'm also a project manager within child welfare here within within Philadelphia. Um, And I have a background in working with insurance companies and a variety of uh, mental health and behavioral health providers, adults, college students, and so forth. And, you know, from everything to, I want to break up with my boyfriend to I experience this childhood trauma um, is a wide range of um, the issues that come into my practice. Um, A lot of the clients I work with are primarily persons that identify as black. Um, I do have some mixed race um, clients as well as some Asian clients and a few white clients as well. Um, But I'm uh, particularly catering towards um, uh, black professionals such as myself. That's the the bulk of
0: the the clientele that I see. Thank you for having me again.
1: Thank you.
0: I'm so glad to have all y'all here. Excited to get this conversation kicked off. So we will be discussing uh, what mental health means to Black America and how it affects our community. Um, Considering the repeated attacks on individuals in our community and the current climate of civil unrest, protesting, things of that nature, and the pandemic, what does being Black in America mean to you? And how do you feel is related to our current mental state as a community? I would like to this one off with Paige.
3: Hey, let's see. First of all, this is a tough one. (laughs) When I really think about what it means to be Black in America. First of all, I want to say I love being Black, okay? Um, I'm proud to be Black. I wouldn't want to be anything but Black, right? But being Black in America, I think, comes with a certain weight, that other um, races don't have to experience, um, and so when it relates to our mental state, I feel like we're always in a heightened mental state. Um, there's always we always have to be on the defense. It's always in this reactionary state where we're, you know, you. It's a wonder why we. Um, are at higher risk for high blood pressure and other physical disorders, because I feel like we're always in this heightened state, especially now with everything that's going on. Um, you know, I was just ta- um, having a talk with a friend and she was saying for the first time, she went out to go exercise. She saw the po- a police officer. and She immediately experienced anxiety. Right. So I feel like for us, we're in this state of anxiety and, and just always on alert. And it's, it's unfair. <laughs> it's unfair that we have to um, have to experience that. So I feel like right now being black in America is is tough, um, and it's unfortunate because we we are amazing, <laughs> you know, we really are. And um, because of I think the threat that we we pose to society, not in a bad way, but the fact that we are so powerful and we are so amazing, and people can't handle that. I think it's it it forces us to always be on the defense. So um, yeah, if I had to just sum it up in one word, I would say right now it's tough.
1: That's yeah, that's 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 amazing. Um, Tisa, uh, Tisa.
4: Ooh, so what does being black in America mean to me? Um, uniquely diverse. So I feel like we are very uniquely diverse, we come in all shapes, shades, sizes, and we are just beautiful in every realm. Um, I think we have the template for everything great. That's why people fight so hard to copy everything that we do, everything that we are, so very everything that they say that they hate is that everything that they try to implicate and mimic within themselves, whether it be body features, you know things that we create or invent like are the template for everything great in this world not just in America but in this world that's why they try so hard to steal things from us so I think we are uniquely you know just diverse and just blessed and amazing it's just collectively sometimes I feel like we forget you know that we are the replica of everything great in this world and when we come together and you know one accord then we'll be you know, fine, but it's too much division right now to see just how uniquely blessed that we are.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh wow, that's nice. Um, Jacqueline?
2: Um, I was sitting here trying to figure out exactly how to answer this question and, and also listening to other people who have answered it. Um, and I just keep thinking of the James Baldwin quote, and I'm gonna paraphrase it because I'm, I'm, I'm sure I'm not gonna get it exactly how he said it, but it, to be black in America is to be in a constant state of rage. Mm. Um, I find that to be true, even, I mean, it was true in the 1960s, it was true in 1860s, and it's it's true now, but I would also offer to add that it's also to live in constant rebellion, especially if you're living an abundant life, to have black joy, black love, black kindness, self-love, all those things are completely rebellious. Because if we, are, if we rely on the state of affairs and, and how things are and, and social as well as blatant, as well as systematic racism to predict how we live our lives or how we adjust mm-hmm. or how we orient to America, if you leave it to that, then we would be in a constant state of rage. Mm-hmm. But if we, if we attempt to live a life that has gratefulness and joy and love in it, it's rebellion. Right. It is an act of rebellion. So I would offer to say a constant state of rage, yes, but also
5: constantly in rebellion.
1: Wow, that's that's amazing. Um, Stephanie.
5: This is such an introspective question, and it's really hard to answer it in one succinct point. But I'm going to say being black in America means to be from a community of architects. So we are currently disconnected from our history. A lot of us can only trace family lines back one or two, maybe three generations if we're lucky. So I think that we're constantly rebuilding and we rebuild our culture. We rebuild our community. We have rebuilt after police brutality. We've rebuilt after death and bombings and we're constantly building and rebuilding. And so I think it's amazing to be a part of a community that can take nothing and turn it into the beautiful black excellence that we're so proud of. And I think for our mental state right now, that means that we're all always probably in a state of flux because the joy that you have, if you let it, it can be taken away very easily by this world. And so we're constantly in a state of
4: trying to our joy while we're
5: in the middle of building, while we're in the middle of trying to connect with each other. So, I'm proud to be from this community, but it is it's it's not easy.
1: Hmm. Okay, and Latasha. So
5: you
6: all pretty much summed up a lot of the points and and to Stephanie's point about it just being, there's not one word. And I think the first thing that came to mind for me when I had to think about this question was that it can be exhausting, right? And there is a lot of unpredictability that happens in our community, Um, sometimes some powerlessness that tends to happen within our community. community and what it means to be black Um, Mm -hmm. fear at times because you always often feel attacked and and you know and most importantly I like to say it means being woke it means being aware uh, and at all levels Um, aware of your personal self aware of the people around you aware of the spaces that you navigate It, it means having to hold a lot when sometimes you don't even have a lot it means having to show up when sometimes you don't want to and most importantly, I think for me, it also means that it is something that I have that I can never take off. That is always on me, it's always there, it's not going anywhere. And and what do I constantly, how I have to constantly shift, you know, in order to be accepted, to be tolerated in certain instances, right? And so it is really encompassing of just about everything you all have said and kind of, and then some. And in terms of, you know, how the, the current Mentos state, Um, I think the biggest thing for me is that it affects community for me because it forces me to look at the community I have, develop new ones, develop new relationships, advocate at the same time, um, support people at the same time, and most importantly, maintain what I do have and set boundaries, particularly when it comes to the mental health and really preserving that. Um, so I'll sum it up and, and say you know I'll keep it at that. I can certainly go on and on about it, um, but you know those are just a couple of things that certainly comes to mind to me when I when I answer that question.
1: So, um, so mm-hmm. I, I like what you guys all have said. Is is my audio okay?
4: No,
1: no? is this better? Mm-hmm. Okay. Awesome. Better for me. All right. Um, so, um, for for Latasha and Paige, right? Um, uh, given you guys is close connection to the mental health arena, um, how has you know the mental health in the Black community have 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 impacted y'all? Right? Like, um, you guys are both in this to help us, right? Um, not necessarily primarily us, but um, a good f- focus on it is us because um, we're kind of the disenfranchised so can you guys kind of talk on that on how you guys approach mental health as professionals and 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 um, as an aid to helping people through crisis
3: um i yeah so for me um it's something I tried to run away from actually hmm. um, <laughs> so when I went back to school to get my master's I had the office. Opportunity to go down the counseling track and I said I not want to be a counselor I don't got time for people to sit and tell, tell me their problems I'm so solution focused I'm gonna be like listen this is what you need to do and go on about your business and so later in life I found myself um working for a um a funder so we fund many programs in the community and so what some of the things that we funded were mental health programs and so I was working with the youth and they wanted to address mental health in, um, in youth. And so they put me on this, um, this work group, and I started working with these mental health professionals. And I'm like, dang it, I should have gone back to school and getting, gotten my degree. Like, why, why didn't I go down the counseling route? Like, I felt I was a little mad at myself. But then um, I ended up taking mental health first aid, which is an eight-hour course that anyone can take um, and to learn how to help an individual in crisis. And so I took this course and then um, the opportunity for me to become an instructor presented itself. I went and I took both of the classes to get, um, trained in adult mental health and youth mental health, and that's when the work just really started. I started to work with the Black church, and it was so amazing to be able to facilitate these conversations in church about mental health and to be able to train the pastors and the elders and um, the the youth directors in how to help assist us in mental health and how to have these conversations that we normally didn't have because you know we grow in this grow up in this what goes in this house stays in this house society and -hmm. so finally people were sitting in this in this class you know they're 40 and 50 years old and finally able to talk about the aunt that everyone said oh had the you know someone slipped something in their drink when when reality she was probably you know experiencing a mental health disorder and people sitting and saying hey I'm going to go sit down with a counselor because xyz happened and now taking this class, I realized that I need to go get help. So being able to facilitate that conversation, facilitate those connections. Um, I do in, um, in May for uh, Mental Health Month, I featured on my radio show a new Black therapist every single week. And so to have people, one, be a part of that conversation, start to pers- uh, pursue getting therapy in our community to me was just amazing and so to be able to sit amongst my friends and us have these open dialogues and say hey well my therapist said and my Uh therapist said and to be able to sit with my grandma and talk about therapy because you know grandmas will say hey just go pray about it so for me I love being a part um, of the field like even though I don't do do therapy it's, it's more so Um, education and uh, mental health first aid is actually an intervention. So for some people, all they just need is for someone that is able to facilitate dialogue and and, and who can help them um, process the crisis that they're going through. So for some people just having that person that they that Person that's certified that they can go to um, is is awesome, um, and so to be able to train my friends and for them to call me and be like, "Girl, I helped someone today, and I helped connect them with a counselor, and I helped do them," and that it's empowering us without us having to go through years and years of education. So for me, I love it. Um, I love teaching the course. I feel like I get emotional every time I, a new class graduates because even though it's for everyone, I focus specifically on our community because we. Need needed and we need to, we need to um, finally have the conversation and then also do something about it.
1: So so before we get to Latasha, I I really wanted to dive deeper into that, right? Uh, Um, um, There is a disconnect between religion and mental health, right? Um, As you stated, we'll pray it away. Um, You know, what was the turning point that um, members of the church, clergy leadership, felt as though that this is something that we need to have a discussion about because I know mental health professionals today are still struggling with, you know, well, my pastor told me to just pray it away. It ain't a real issue. So how were you able to actually, um, transition that uh, or get that conversation to be more organic than a forced one?
3: Um, I think part of it had to do with the mindset of the pastor. Mm. Um, so, uh, Pastors are starting to finally, like, also, I think, realize like it's time for us to have this conversation, and there is such thing as Jesus and therapy. you actually can have Jesus and therapy together. Um, and so, for me, the first church that, um, fortunately for me, that I partnered with, the pastor was going back to school to get his master's in social work. And so, for him, he saw the need. And all it takes is one, right, one pastor to advocate and talk to another pastor and talk to another pastor so for me it was having that one pastor that was sick and tired of being sick and tired and finally said hey That there has to be a change, and I'm in the field. And what can I do to empower my community? Because that's what mental health first aid is about it's about empowerment, it's about empowering us as individuals to be able to take these tools to help one another, to facilitate these conversations, to connect us to um, the resources that we need. And so I think he just got sick and tired of being sick and tired, and he started. I mean, he decided to be the change that we needed. And so in him taking that step to want to help his church and getting connected, and then, you know, that first um, class of brave souls to in eight hours with me in the evening and say, Hey, I want to help my family. I want to help myself. And then when people saw like how it changed them and how it impacted them, it was like, okay, now I need to tell more people. So then I started getting more calls like, Hey, can you teach another class? And now can you teach another class? So I think it really just takes that one connecting with that one pastor that's just ready to make that change. So just finding that ally, I would say.
1: Okay. Okay. Latasha, you're on mute, just FYI.
6: Can you, can you repeat the question one more time? I just want to make sure I'm answering
1: Um it. So as a mental health professional, right, you guys are kind of in both worlds. You're dealing with mental health as an individual um, within the black community, and then you're dealing with it as practitioners, right? Um, And then the other part was um, to Paige's point, having someone, um, in the church, advocating for mental health support um, is really important. So like, what are your thoughts? Like, you, you know, what is your perspective on how mental health is is portrayed in our community, right? Um, and then how are you identifying ways to like page, um, find community leaders that's able to kind of advocate for it?
6: So I think in terms of mental health as personally and professionally, you know, my story is similar to Paige in terms of how I I came into this work and how I came into this field, particularly with doing private practice. So if you would have asked Latasha about 10 years ago, if she would have been doing what she's doing today, she probably would have told you no, right? Because I was going to graduate school. I was getting my master's and I definitely wanted to be in the field because I do have some lived um, experience as, you know, a child in my childhood that warranted that I wanted to get into this field, but you would have never told me I would have been sitting down listening to people's challenges and concerns. And so it took me also working in a um, uh, pretty much like an insurance company, a behavioral health insurance company, where we funded a variety of different levels of care and programs. And through that work, I worked actually with a lot of the uh, residential facility treatment programs for youth. And when I would do interviews with them, one of the biggest things that they would say to me is that they did not, while they knew their therapist and they knew therapy was helping them, their therapist did not look like them and they felt like they could not connect. These were youth. These were the people that needed this support. I mean, I'm not going to say the most because everybody who means it, needs it, right? But they, mm-hmm. they needed it, and they needed it in a way that they weren't being heard. And when I would provide this feedback to the powers that be of these organizations, very little change had occurred. Now, although I don't work with youth in my practice, it definitely was a turning point for me personally to also want to pursue, um, pursue this work in doing and providing therapy. And then coupled with I have an amazing group of, of girlfriends who they're also in the field. They also have their own private practice. And one of them was the one who really set the tone for us to even do this. Um, so I won't name, I won't name, you know, anybody right now, but it's, it's really through that core group of, of this, of these ladies that I am friends with sisters actually with that really prompted, set the stage for why I'm doing this work on a private practice level. Most importantly, the fact that I get to show up, I can't tell you the many messages I receive from my clients about how they appreciate having a black therapist. The fact that we can talk in a way that you don't have to explain. Okay. The fact that I can say a word, like, I think, for example, I had a client the other day and I said, Oh honey. And I was like, Oh my God, I'm so sorry. Cause they tell you in grad school, you got to be very careful professional at all the times. So and she's like, Oh no, that's just what I needed to hear. Mm-hmm. Just that one thing, because, and then I had to take a step back. That was nurturing. That was mothering. that's what she needed given the issues we were talking about. My presence is, is, I don't want to say it's enough, but it, is, it meets me halfway to doing this work. Personally, you know, I've had, I've had my, my chances with, you know, going into therapy and, you know, I insist that it has to be somebody that look like me because there's just things that I need you to just know without me having to thoroughly explain it. Mm
1: -hmm. Thank you very much. I really appreciate that. Mm -hmm. Um, So Jackie, uh, Jacqueline, I apologize. Um, I want to kind of address um, a couple things, right? Um, You're on mute, just FYI. Um, As an emerging leader in the community around youth empowerment, you know, um, Paige discussed a little bit, she touched up a little bit about how empowering the youth around the mental health space is very important so that they understand what their options are. through the Royalty Project, how what are you guys doing to empower the youth to ensure that they are um, understanding what their options are, um, and not just realizing that um, mental health is a bad thing, but it's something that we all deal with? A really
2: good question. Um, our focus and our core competency is the mentor program. And within the mentor program, we equipped our mentors to focus on improving the self-esteem and self-images of our youth. One, by creating, not just creating, but being role models that they can directly associate with and directly look at to identify people in their community that look like them, that are positive, community-oriented, focused, um, accomplished, achieved, all those great things. Um, And then also teaching them and learning with them the richness of our culture. The gateway to anything that you want to be successful at, including self-love, mental health, is understanding who you are and understanding who you are. And a part of understanding who you are is understanding where you come from where the people you come from, come from your lineage, your heritage, your culture, and not narrated from a perspective other than yours. A lot of our stories, a lot of our experience, a lot of the essence of who we are is often told by us through other people. When we learn our history initially in schools or um, via media, now via social media, a lot of that it comes from outside of our community. So what we do in the royalty project is is learn and teach and expose and reveal our stories from our perspective, um, and I think that's important because self esteem and self awareness is important to any any forms of achievement in any arena. So I think that's how we're tackling it. We're tackling it by having ownership of our stories and telling them, and not just telling them from sheerly a positive perspective, but telling them from the perspective of the people who endured from the perspective that they know. For instance, if you ask a bully to tell the story of their experience, it's gonna be told very differently than the person who was being bullied. Yeah. And then to be real with those feelings that came from being in a victim's perspective, but not existing or continuing to exist in a victim space. So learning our stories in order for them to empower us, not for them to um, create disadvantages or create this level of um, that we aren't able to achieve because we haven't been able to achieve, but identifying that we come from a very rich, very rich culture of innovators, of achievers, of uh, pioneers, exposing, and I'm trying not to get too detailed into the the actual history, but just just the wealth of things that have been hidden from us, the missing history, because those are the things and understanding those things are what empowers us as individuals and and, and enables us to look actually outside of ourselves, Because if we're constantly searching for something, constantly searching for who we are, constantly searching for um, where we come from or why things happen to us the way they've happened to us, that takes away from our power to serve others, to be in service of others. So if we can nail that, and a lot of us didn't nail that until we were in our 20s, 30s, and even beyond that. But if we can teach children to nail that as young as 10 years old, then how much more powerful can they even be if we that's don't clip nice. their wings like we oftentimes we feel like our wings have been clipped from childhood so we're like trying to gather all the information all the power all the self-esteem all everything that it takes for us to continue to fly but imagine if their wings were never clipped like you're right you right. didn't have to
0: unlearn a lot of the things that we already learned
1: yeah, yeah I, I like i like that that's that's really cool
0: Yeah, you're absolutely right. And I'm loving all of this perspective that y'all are giving me because that's one of the things that I love about this opportunity. I get to hear all of these different views. Um, I want to take it over to Stephanie. Stephanie, my friend. Um, I know that we deal with a lot of things in communications and um, marketing. What are some of the the aspects of being Black in that arena and how does it affect you, especially given our current climate?
5: Well, I... So, first of all, Black people drive American culture. Mm -hmm. And so American culture is always trying to catch up to what Black people have already created. That's when you see people take things like Bantu knots and call them mini buns and do a a little listicle on how to make mini buns or how you see... um, families like the Kardashians creating products that make billions of dollars that came from a Black girl in my neighborhood in Third Ward. Mm -hmm. And so um, I have a digital agency and we specialize in branding and websites and marketing. And people are trying to learn how to be authentic, especially these small business owners and these entrepreneurs in a world that has told them, we value what you have, but we don't value you. And that's mm-hmm. the problem with the communication. It's like, we want everything that Black people have and everything they are, but we just don't want Black people. And so that's a hard opinion to contend with when you're existing in this world and you didn't choose to be Black. But a lot of us, I haven't met one Black person that has said they would want to be anything else. Mm-hmm. And so we're still trying to learn to exist and communicate from a space of some of us still need to be validated. And like Jacqueline was saying, it comes from our history and it comes from our community and it comes from the support around us because the world does not validate us. We'll see a McDonald's commercial with the R&B guy singing, you got a 10-piece girl, don't be stingy," but we can't get a piece of that corporation. You know what I mean? And so right. that's where it lies in communications. is kind of being outside of that circle, mm-hmm. but stealing from our resources. Right, I definitely,
0: I definitely agree with that, and then also in the vein of um, being a Black woman, and then Tisa, I know that you're, you've done your transition out of the military, correct, and now you're in school. How do you think that affects your mental health as a Black woman at this given time in this transition, and then also you're preparing to get deeper into like mental health professionals. So how, how do you think that affects your decisions and the way you're moving right now?
4: Um, so my transition has been hectic to say the least, because when you're in the military, you're accustomed to a certain way of life, like you have like a certain battle rhythm and things go a certain way. And you you kind of told what to do, what not to do. And, I feel like um, one of the biggest things that used to get me how I knew I wasn't going to make a career out of it was um, you can have a voice, but as long as you don't speak outside of my boundaries, mm-hmm. you know. And for me, that that's a problem because I don't like being put in a box, mm-hmm. and I'm free, but I'm only free within the boundaries of you telling me how free I can be. You know, I'm cutting you a, you a check like I'm not a piece of property, and in the military, in a sense, like you are know all property you know, like your, your government property. So, you know, even if they're wrong, like you can't speak against this, this person, you know, but that very person, your command in chief, like they can go and say whatever and do whatever they want to do and talk about people that look like you, even though you're in the uniform. So when you're in the uniform, not only are you still going through things, you know, in the military, but you still have to fight, you know, the battles of the world when you're out of your uniform because you're still a soldier regardless of what's going on mm-hmm. and you have to still stay within the confinements of what the regulations are. So, you know, you will get UCMJ or whatever, but I'm still black when I take this off, regardless if I got a U.S. army across my chest or not, like I'm still a black woman in America and the black men in the military, they're still black men in America. Like you can't change that. Like we all say, you know, we bleed green, but at the end of the day, we're still black. And, if something goes wrong, like, they don't give a damn about what uniform you have on because they still see you as a black man or black woman in America. And even within the military, like, it's no representation in the civilian world. So in an organization where we represent, like, 1% of the population, you know, as far as military, you can only imagine the lack of res- representation when it comes to behavioral health within, you know, the formation. So you're already, you know, in the civilian world, dealing with people who don't understand you, who don't understand the language and don't know how to apply, you know, the cultural differences when it comes to therapy. Because the the templates and the, the models, they're based from a white man's perspective when it comes to therapy. So not everyone has the skill set to apply those things to different cultures. And then you take that and you put it in the military as well. So they're really lost because they're only applying it from a white man, a white straight man's perspective at that. And most people, it's only from a different social economic status. So if you're coming from the latter part of that, like they really don't understand shit that you're talking about. Like they have no idea of what your struggles have been, what they could be, or the struggles that you may endure in the future. And then bring that to the civilian world. Like I'm transitioning out of the military, and I had to hit the ground running because I, I haven't had time to like breathe, take a minute, no nothing, and everything is happening in the world people still getting shot and you're forced to see that every day so if you're already battling your own mental issues and then you turn on the tv turn on the radio you get on social media and it's another person's dying and like that's it's a lot like it's a lot to digest and everybody like everybody doesn't take mental health serious like it's still taboo in a sense like it's, it's still such a stigma to it
1: so Tisa, it sounds like we have a whole nother episode just for you and your military veterans. Um so those are <laughs> those are some really amazing points. And um, you know, that kind of leads us to the next part of our discussion, right?